0: To talk about some of the uh, blueprints for uh, for the church. And really, blueprints is kind of a, uh, two meanings on that double meaning. One is we're going to just look at the blueprints that we can see on God's design for our lives personally and as a church. Then we're also going to look a little bit, talk a little bit about the blueprints that we have uh, sketched up over here. If you get a chance, hopefully before you leave, uh, you can take a look at those. They're, uh, uh, Greg Miller helped with the uh, on the architect design side of it and then Patrick Meyer helped with the uh, the sketching here and the conceptualizing and stuff And he did, he went into great detail on the, on the people and stuff, if you check it out it's kind of, uh, he did some really close likenesses there I uh, I found myself in one of them and I, I told Pat he, he went he went a little light on the biceps there but most of the <laughs> most of the picture was accurate so uh, but anyways, we'll take a look at that uh, at the end of our time together, and you feel free to look at it when we're done here. But um, it's kind of some ideas to get us thinking and dreaming together of how we might use this potential warehouse up the street for um, uh, for building God's kingdom, for doing God's will. So anyways, we're going to pray, and we'll just uh, jump right into this here. So if you would, let's just bow our heads and pray. Uh. Uh, well, Lord Jesus, we do thank you again for just uh, some time today in our busy schedules, uh, in this busy week, uh, to just come into your presence to worship you. Lord, I pray that we could also, in the next uh, few minutes we have together, that we would be able to hear from you. God, I pray that you'd open a channel from you, the living God, to each one of our hearts here this morning, that you would have something for everyone who's, who's here today. God, I pray that you'd speak by your Spirit. I pray you'd speak through your Word. And I pray that we would respond, Lord. Give us soft, teachable hearts to respond to you this morning. And Lord, help us to catch a sense of what your will is. I think of that song that says that it's really its hard to understand your will. I, I'm not too wise to understand that. But Lord, you've revealed what you want from us in your word. And Jesus, you revealed it to us through your life and your teaching. And help us to catch it today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So this morning we are going to talk about, um, just. Uh, there's a few different ways to think of it. We're going to talk about the blueprints that God has for our church. We're going to talk, another way to talk about it is just God's will. What is God's will? What does God want from you and, and from me? Um, another way to think of it is what can we do as a church, what can we do individually to bring glory to God? I think about um, there's a book that talks about some of you might have read Purpose Driven Life from Rick Warren and he talked about just ways that we bring glory to God and really the essence of it you bring glory to God when you do what God has designed you to do. Some examples would be like when a bird wakes up early in the morning and starts chirping its song outside your window it brings glory to God because that's what God made birds to do. Uh, when an ant Goes and it picks up an object that's many times its uh, weight and uh, size, and it carries it around. And an ant brings glory to God because it does what God has designed it to do. Uh, it does what God want, wants for it. Um, I think of uh, a duck built platypus. You know, when when a duck built platypus does whatever it is that a duck built platypus does, <laughs> it brings glory to God because it's doing what God has designed it to do. And, and there's some things. That God has designed into our lives as human beings, as men and women, created in His image. There's some things He's designed for us to do that will bring Him glory, that are uh, right in the middle of His will and His pleasure for us. And we're just going to try to catch some of those here this morning. Um, I was encouraged to um, send an email out last week about what we're going to talk about. Talked about the blueprints a little bit. And I was reading this Space Walkers uh, devotional. Um, how many of you get that? do anyone get the Faith Walkers devotional? I think um, we might have a few on the table there, but it's also online. But it's just a daily devotional with uh, people, national uh, leaders, pastors throughout the country and, and the world that just share thoughts from the words that, to encourage us. But uh, I think it was yesterday and uh, the day before There was a series that Dennis Clark did, and it was entitled Our Blueprints. And I thought, Dennis stole that from me. that he wrote this about three months ago So, um, but I didn't honestly I didn't read ahead it just, I, I thought wow that's cool that he was writing about a blueprint that God had given them. and he was talking about um, several decades ago when our churches uh, were just getting started where, where a lot of the leaders that are national leaders now and older they were your age and they were just trying to figure out so a lot of them were on campuses just uh, in college still and just out of college and they were wondering God what is your will for us what do you want and and um, Dennis Clark wrote this he said uh, uh, of another pastor back from back then he said my friend Rick Whitney wrote about the process a lot of us went through in the early days in discovering God's will he quotes Rick and he goes on to say all of us need personal road maps guideposts when we first start to follow our savior new believers need a starting point for their spiritual journey a plan from God himself while we were just starting out 37 years ago we told the lord if you show us your plan we promise we will follow it together for the rest of our lives. We asked God for a blueprint, and He gave it to us. This blueprint that God gave us came from two passages, including the great commandment above, which was listed there. And we're going to look at that. But we're going to look at two passages that I think really... Uh, unequivocally, you could say our God's will for your life, for the life of our church, for any Christian. And we're going to kind of make the case of why that could be as we look at what Jesus had to say. So the first one is, um, is this. You know, it's the great commandment, and some of you might know it. And the context was that these guys were testing Jesus to figure out you know, if He really was God in the flesh, as He said He was, if He really was the Messiah. And they said, all right, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Um, that's been given to us. And, you know, they were trying to trap Him and see if He gave a wrong answer or something like that. But in all the, uh, maybe hundreds of commandments and the law that God had given to His people, Jesus sifted through it all, and this is what He said. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is, Like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus just... Responded that ultimately loving God is the greatest commandment. It's the greatest thing we can do. And um, we're going to just look at some practicals of how can we um, love God like this. Uh, Let's see here. First First thing I want to draw is just really saying love God supremely. He says out of everything you can do, above all else, love God. And second is loving people. But there's the difference between loving God and loving people is orders of magnitude different. It's the difference between loving your Creator and loving something in the creation. And Jesus said, Hey, by the way, love God supremely. You know, He taught some really hard teachings along the way where He said, Hey, look, as a matter of fact, you need to know that I love my Father more than any other person in, on this planet. And you, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to love God more than your husband, your wife, your kids, your friends, your family orders of magnitude different that Jesus said love God this way supremely we've got to catch that if we're going to try to live that out another thing is um, we need to love God obediently or another way to think of it is completely um, one of the things I get out of this, uh, this nugget here that Jesus gave us is that God is seriously into loving relationships Got his way into it. So much so that he says, hey, this is the most important thing ever. But another thing you'll notice is that he's given us different faculties, different capacities through which we can experience his love and also show love to him. You catch? He's given us a heart to love him with, he's given us a soul. You know, the love that God has, it's out of this world, it's beyond this world, and therefore he's given us a soul to experience that love. For eternity, He's given us a mind. It's not to be a thoughtless love, uh, uh, just routine. It's to be with our minds. And um, He's also, uh, I think Mark went on to say, Love Him with your strength. Loving God takes effort, it takes energy that God's given you. And so, um, But all God has also said that um, loving Him is kind of, Jesus said, Hey, look, if you love me, He who has my commands and obeys them, that's who loves me. There's, there's a way that love is communicated to God through obedience. And it's kind of like the relationship of a father with a child. I think of my kids, and I'm trying to train them to obey, train them to do what's right. And every now and again, I get these glimpses where they make a choice, and they do it. Their motive is because they want to show me love. And it's an awesome thing. But God wants us to do the same thing, to love Him, our Heavenly Father, as obedient children. And there's different, again, ways we can do that with our minds, with our hearts, with our soul, with our strength. He wants us to love Him obediently and completely. As a father and a child. Um, another thing uh, God, God wants us to love Him passionately. We're to love God passionately with all. You know, so there's the relationship of a creator and the creation. There's a relationship of a father and children. There's a relationship of a lover and the beloved. And that God wants us to love Him passionately. Um, you know, the Song of Songs in the Bible is just this picture of really that expresses God's heart for us but it does it through the picture of a relationship of a lover and a beloved, a husband and a wife. And we just need to think about loving God. Are you loving God with all your heart? It's kind of like, imagine if you were married and you were just, uh, uh, you know, you have this person who maybe you've fallen in love with, you're passionately in love with, but what if you got to the point where you only were giving your your spouse 50% of your heart? They only got 50% of it. And, And the other option would be maybe the other 50%, you just... Didn't care. You got apathetic. You got complacent in your love. Are you that way with God? What if even worse? That other fifty percent of your heart you had, you gave to other lovers. Fifty percent your spouse got. Fifty percent maybe it divvied up. Your secretary got a chunk of your heart. Someone else got a part of your heart, and you know that would be horrible. But in a sense, that's what we. So easily do with God. I've been reading a book recently. Some of you, I'm rereading it, really. Some of you might know the book. It's called The Sacred Romance uh, by Brent Curtis and John Eldridge. And uh, one of the chapters in there, the whole chapter is entitled Less Wild Lovers. And it just talks about how we tend to go away from God and His passionate love and we settle for other things, whether it's things, relationships or whether it's careers, whether it's money, whether it's entertainment. And we settle for less wild lovers. Than God, and God doesn't call us to love Him passionately because He said, "Hey, let's just make this life really hard for you guys." Here, here you are. I'm God. Let me show you what it's like to be God and what it's like not to. I'll just make it tough. You know, the reason God calls us to this standard is because He loves us passionately. This verse here, in, uh, Exodus thirty-four fourteen, in the Living Bible, it puts it like this: "You must worship no other gods but only the Lord, for He is a God who is passionate." about His relationship with you. You need to know God is passionate about you. God is never distracted in His love for you. God is never too busy to show you His love. As a father, sometimes I have times where I'm focused and I'm doing things and my kids want my attention and I can be too busy. I'm too busy working on an email or I'm too busy doing different things and God, He's never too busy for you and I. He's passionate about us Um, and He wants us, He's designed us to be passionate about Him. And I think we need to catch this, you know, this commandment. It could just be, you know, arbitrary, God just threw it out, hey, let me pick love. I could have picked uh, some other noble character that I elevate above all else. But God picked love because God is love. And He created us in His image to have loving relationship. And you need to know that you and I are a part of a great love story. You know, we're, we're a part of a love story of epic proportions. I picked epic, I was trying to think of a big word. You know, another way to say it is you're a part of a love story of eternal proportions. It's a love story that goes beyond life here on earth. It goes forever. And and you need to know you're a part of something huge. And, and God has designed you with the ability to be in a loving relationship like that with Him. And so, again, this is, a, this is the first command. We need to love God supremely. We need to love Him obediently. We need to love Him passionately and we need to know that we are a part of an epic love story a story of epic proportions now the other thing that he says is um second is to love our neighbors and um you know we read there he says and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself um but another way to uh, another verse that's kind of a part of the blueprint for God's design for us is is this this one here that Jesus taught him um, before he left the planet he he said this um Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this entity it contains some facets of loving your neighbors, and, and really we are going to talk about them. You know, in all the world we really have just two types of neighbors. And what type of neighbors do we have? Many of you know the answer to this. We have, nice and loud, lost and saved. Two types of neighbors. Every person on the planet, in God's eyes, in light of Christ, is either lost or they're saved. And, you know, sometimes people can take offense. Ah, how dare you call them lost. That's kind of mean. That's kind of like... I think it's a little meaner to call someone an infidel. I think that's not very cool. But lost, lost is probably uh, you know. Sometimes people say, "Who are you to say I'm lost?" You know, bumper stickers that say, "I'm not lost. I'm just wandering," or something like that. Um, but this is God's view on it, and this is you know how how Jesus told us what he, what He was doing here, why He was here, and how we should live is because there are people who are lost, and we need to know that. Um, this is a very real thing. It's a very real condition. The story, this love story of epic proportions, it takes place right smack in the middle of a war—a war of good versus evil, a war of the devil versus God, a war over your heart and your soul, men and women—and we need to realize that they're in that war. there are casualties, and because of sin, there are people who have lost. Their relationship with God it is no longer existing, and if things were to end right now, that that uh, existence would be for eternity. I think about Dennis Clark. He wrote some, you know, in another um, devotional that's coming up. I did read ahead on a, uh, one of them, but um, it says this: uh, Life on Earth offers many choices. Eternity offers only two: heaven or hell. There really is a heaven. And there really is a hell. Heaven or hell is the destination of people just across the street, in your classroom, in your uh, two offices down, across the locker room and just next door. That phrase really stuck, stuck out to me. is There really is a heaven and there really is a hell. And there are people who are really lost from the relationship with God. And there are people whose relationship has been saved. It has been restored. It has been redeemed. We need to catch, really catch a heart for that. We're going to talk about loving them, both of these, the lost and the saved. And one of the questions I like to throw out on this is, who's more important to God? Who has more value in God's eyes, the lost or the saved? Not a lot of answers. It's a trick question, maybe. Um, the same, the same. You know, uh, both lost people, and saved people. They have the same value in God's eyes. They're created in the image of God for a loving relationship with God. And the, the Bible is very clear on this. First Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, it just says that God wants all men to be saved and come into a knowledge of the truth. There's another one, Second Peter chapter 3. It says that God wishes that none perish, but all come to repentance. God loves every human life equally. And we need to know that. Um, Sometimes we try to decide, you know, what's more important, reaching the lost, reaching the saved. You know, I think humans in general are just important to God. And, but his hope is that none are lost, that none end up separated from his love forever. That would be a tragedy. Um, but let's look at loving our lost neighbors first. Just going to share a few uh, specifics about loving our lost. Some things that really uh, have been stirring my heart recently and I hope would, would stir yours as well the verse where Jesus was speaking he said the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost that whole term again of lost you know Christians didn't think that up mean people didn't think that up Jesus said hey look I came to save what has been lost your relationship with God has been lost I came to seek to pursue to restore it and he wants us to follow him and that still His hard he still wants to see the lost saved he gave his life for that and one of the things I really want us to, to catch is this idea um, and we need to get a heart for the lost. You know, um, we've been talking about that the last week or two as we've been praying about campus and the dorms. Getting a heart for the lost. And and what I mean by that is um, I think a lot of people have a head for the lost. I think a lot of people know if you took a theology test and, and it says, uh, you know, do you think the lost are very important to God? You know, we check... Yes. Um, or, you know, some percentage scale, I think, highly important. Most of us would answer that. Um, do you think, uh, uh, what would you say, do you think reaching the lost is something God wants you to do? I'm you know, check, yes. Do you think reaching the lost is something Jesus gave His life and His blood for? Yes. And most of, it, most of us in our head, I think, we know we should love the lost. We have a head for the lost. I fear that we do not have a heart for the lost. You see, because when your heart is moved... Um, actions happen. You cannot help but share with others. I think of the proverb that says, uh, Proverbs 4.23 it says, Above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because it's the wellspring of life. It says your heart is your control center, it's your steering wheel. And if something is on your heart, something is going to happen. And if the lost are not on your heart, there's only a couple options. If the lost are not on your heart, if you have no love for them and you take action, it'll be shallow and superficial people will see right through the other thing more common is the heart the lost are not on your heart you will take no action that's very common in this day and age the other way about it is to catch the heart of Christ the love of God for the lost and you will be compelled to take action I think that we see that in Jesus' life i uh, just, just going to look at a quick few verses on him Luke 19 if you have a house probably you can turn there with me Luke 19 it has a passage you know it says this: he came to seek and to save what is lost then it goes on from there and it just shows, you hopefully catch a glimpse of his heart. Luke chapter 19, uh, I'm going to have a page number on that. If, if you have a house Bible, we'll holler out a page number, otherwise... 1039. Page 1039, Luke 19. And we're going to probably start around verse 40. So the next page, if you're in your house Bible, Luke 19.40. And Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, it's the triumphal entry where they just many acknowledge him as the Christ, but in some ways they just it's on the surface and it's just some of his followers that are really at the heart of that. But many of them actually missed it, you know, and and it says this, the the Pharisees were saying, Hey, stop these people from, from acknowledging you as God, from worshiping you as the Messiah. Stop them. And, and Jesus said, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And Jesus wept and he knew these people would miss him. They knew they, they, they wouldn't get it. And it... It caused him to weep. And he went on to the cross anyways, and many, uh, after the fact, turned to him and found their peace in him, and they, they knew that it was him who would bring them peace with God and restore that relationship. But Jesus wept, and I, I just, uh, boy, if you look at this passage, maybe on your own, and just pray that God would give you a heart like that, that weeps, that breaks over the lost. The lost in your dorms, the lost in your classrooms, the lost on, on the, in the city, in our neighborhood that we catch God's heart like that I think of sometimes it's easy to say well that's Jesus he's God in the flesh he came to save and that was his job he better have a heart for it but i um, give you another example to look at here is, um, is the Apostle Paul just a man like you and I a human being um, we need to know that there really is a hell we need to catch the love of Jesus and we need to catch the love even of the Apostle Paul Been thinking on this verse, it's been really warming my heart again for for reaching those who don't know Christ. And it's 1 Thessalonians 2 8. And if you think about it, Paul came to this city where he didn't know anybody. And he came and he just had a heart to start sharing Jesus with people. He started sharing about what Jesus had done. And the people that he met, this is what he says about them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, he says, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. And That's a heart for the lost. That's a love for the lost there. And and that's my prayer that God would give me that heart and give you that heart. Um, Because there's a huge difference between having a brain for a brain or a head for the lost and a heart for the lost. And and God wants us to have that heart. And through the Holy Spirit, God used the Apostle Paul. He filled him with the love of Christ that he could express that to people around him. And and my hope is that we all can be used as a vessel like that with the love for the lost um, let me see here so a few practicals if you have your card how many of you have the card if you can hold it up shake it and do something Really yeah. oh, got it alright good um, it's, uh, we made a few of these just to, to give us a tool to use as we're trying to go about God's will for our life, trying to bring glory to God we want to love God it's at the top here love Him with all with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind um, second, love our neighbors as ourselves. We have the saved and the lost kind of parallel there uh, in the cross. And on the side for the lost here, you know, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what is lost. And I just encourage you to write a name down. If you can, if you have a pen right now, write a name down of someone who you might know who's lost a relationship with God, who if things were to end right now and they were called... Uh, before the judgment seat of Christ to give account for their lives, they would be lost forever. Write down the name of someone who God has placed in your world. Because one of the other things we have to catch is that we need, again, to pray for these people by name. We've talked about it before. We could grow, God, give me a love for the lost. But really, if you don't have a person's name who you have that love for, that compassion for, you really, I think, you could accurately say you don't have a love for the lost at all if it doesn't show up in person in someone's name personally and I encourage you to write down the name of someone and and begin to pray for them and pray that God would move their hearts you know the Bible teaches that people's hearts are blind to Christ and their need for Christ pray that God would open the eyes of their hearts Um, let's see here also you know, pray for the lost and pray for your heart for that person I found that there's a direct correlation I know I say this every time we talk about it but The more I'm praying for the lost by name, the more my heart, I feel uh, a compassion, I feel something inside me that burns to see someone saved, that hungers to see someone saved by name. I've got a couple names here that are... And I encourage you, put them down, pray for them by name every day. Get a chance, throw this in your Bible. Pray for this person every day. And then pray for opportunities to share the gospel with them. Maybe it's sharing your testimony. Maybe it's sharing a gospel tract. Maybe it's inviting them to a church or, or someplace the gospel will be shared. But pray for opportunities to share with them. Um, so this is, again, get a heart for the lost. Pray for the lost by name. Pray for opportunities. Um, let's see here. Now, next one here. Now, love your saved neighbors. Now, now we said there's no difference in the value of in God's eyes between a lost person and a saved person but I would say there's one caveat to that um, and what did Jesus say to his disciples what did he say you, you will be recognized by this world as my disciples if you do what I already put the verse up there no you guys are sharp that's good huh? <laughs> Jesus said "Hey, hey folks here's the deal if you love one another this world will know that you're my disciples And I think people miss this. I think most people would say, Boy, you know, if I talk about the lost, if I say all these things about the lost, if I judge a church because of how ineffective they are with the lost, people will really know I follow Jesus. You know, all that judgment, pointing fingers, uh, looking down on people. That's that's a disciple of Jesus, right? Now, Jesus said this. Here's how He defined what uh, would mark His followers. He said, Your love for the person sitting next to you. Your love for the person sitting next to you will identify you as a follower of Jesus or not by his definition you might say hey I'm a disciple I love the laws I, I'm a lone ranger for Christ well Jesus said here's how you can tell his disciples if you love one another and what does love one another mean you know maybe that can get vague oh yeah I love you love you man uh, see you next year or something like that um, there's a little more to I think his definition of love so he says love for one another will mark his disciples what marks you? What marks your life? What would someone say of you that that marks you? Is it your love for brothers and sisters in Christ, for your church, family, for other disciples? I hope that that would be what marks all of us here. But a practical way to love one another is to serve one another, to lay your lives down for fellow believers. Um, Jesus said this, uh, or it's written, and the disciple John the disciple that Jesus loved, according to John. Um, He said this in 1 John 3.16. Most popular verse in the Bible, obviously, is uh, John 3.16. Probably one of the lesser popular verses in the Bible, 1 John 3.16. Some sort of, I think, like a Cinderella verse in the New Testament here. But this is what John writes. John who caught the love of Jesus Christ. He said this, you know, we're trying to ask, what is love? It's kind of nebulous. What does it look like? Well, he said, this is how we know what love is Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, our brothers, our family of believers, as brothers, sisters, our brethren in Christ. That's what love is. If you want to know what the type of love Jesus is talking about, he's talking about the kind that will lay down your life, your interests, your rights for the sake of another person. That's the type of love that will mark you. Um, um, and sometimes, you know, uh, let's see, if you're going to if you're going to serve and lay down our lives, I think there's a key component that people miss. If you're going to lay down your life for someone, if you're going to serve them, how could you ever do that if you're not committed to them, if you're not loyal to them? I think uh, one of the biggest things that uh, I think we're missing in this day and age in Christianity is people that are committed to one another in a local church. A lot of people have this ethereal view. I, I love the body of Christ, you know, the universal body of Christ. You know, that includes the very first believers filled with the Holy Spirit to everyone, to present time, to everyone who will get saved before Christ returns. I love the body of Christ. But when push comes to shove, where are they? Doing their own thing. They're not committed. You can't lay down your life for someone you don't spend time with, if you're not serving, you're not meeting with regularly. And, and I think there's a... There's a huge deception. I just want to share this with you. It's, uh, it's on the campuses. It's in the workplaces. When we go out and survey people, and, and you in know, Seattle we did a bunch of surveys on the spiritual climate there. We did this on the Auraria campus. But so many times I hear people say this phrase. Um, let's see. You don't have to be a Christian. Uh, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Anyone ever heard that before? Anyone ever said that before? Please tell me no. And uh, you don't have to be you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I think that's one of the greatest deceptions plaguing Christianity on the planet today. Now, I'm not saying it's a lie because the reality is it's true. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. We all know that. It's kind of like going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. It's not it's not the case. You don't have to be. But the deception is that if you miss out on that, the deception is that you should be a Christian who's a part of a church. You know, the church is compared to many in many different ways. There's different analogies in the Bible uh, that it uses. It says the church is like an army. It says the church is like a body. It says the church is like a family. And in each one of these instances, if you think about someone, what is a person who's uh, a soldier without an army? What are they? Mercenary, maybe? They might be... Lost. They might be dead. Uh, they might be AWOL. They might be there's a lot of good acronyms. They could be AWOL, absent without leave. Many Christians are AWOL from the church today. They might be POW. They wandered off and they got behind enemy lines. They got taken captive. Many Christians are POW today. And there's some that are MIA, just missing in action. They wandered off doing their own thing. Nobody knows what they're up to. But in a lot of cases. When, you, when a soldier gets separated from the rest of his army or his platoon, in some cases, in, in extreme, you know, uh, combat, dangerous situations, a lot of people will tell you that person is basically dead meat to get isolated and to be a miracle to survive that and thank God for miracles. But um, but a lot of people are like that in the church. It's like this army, you know. It's like Jesus is the commander in chief of the army. But we got all these Christians that are lone rangers for Christ, you know, and um, lone rangers for Christ... Soldiers on their own, you know, they don't do much for the army. And, you know, honestly, I think the devil could care less about them. He's like this little person's walking around with their BB gun doing their own thing. Who cares? I'm worried about the people that are getting organized and getting on the offensive for Christ, you know. And, um, but you don't want to be without an army. Um, another one, what is a, what's a body part that's not connected to the body? <laughs> Dead, amputated. Uh, you know, one of the words that is actually kind of a church sort of word, dismemberment. You know, when a body part gets separated from the body, what is it called? It's dismembered. It's disconnected. It no longer serves a function. You know, the whole analogy of being a part of the body is that every Christian is supposed to play a function in the body. And somehow we've lost it. Yeah, I'm a part of the body of Christ. I just don't do anything for the body of Christ. I, I have no function to do whatever I want to do. But the whole design behind that is to be a part of the body, that's playing a part in the body. And you have to be connected in order to do that. I think the last thing we need is another uh, Christian that is not a functioning part of the body of Christ. We have many body parts floating around there. But that's not God's design. A family. Again, there's supposed to be a family, a church family. And in a lot of ways uh, in a family there's to be this support and an acceptance and an encouragement and many people have run away from family. They're on their own. And because of that, I believe they're missing out on many benefits. There's discouragement. There's depression. There's things that a family is designed to help one another with. I think of uh, Galatians 6.2 that says, The law of Christ is to carry one another's burdens for each other. And you cannot carry anyone's burden if you're not a part of the family. And no one's going to carry your burden if you're doing your own thing, separated in isolation. Um, We're to be a part of a family. God is our Father and you and, we, you and I are supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ carrying one another's burdens. And, and we need to just catch this. We're, we're supposed to be committed and connected to one another in a local church. Again, if you're like Jesus, Jesus could say, hey look, I love the whole body of Christ because being omnipresent, om, omniscient, he knows every person from the very first disciples that came to Christ to the very last one who will come. And He can love them all in a way that only God can. But you and I, we're stuck with bodies in time and space in this location. And the only way to be a part of the body of Christ is to be a part of a local situation, a local church. And if you miss that, I think you miss everything. According to the New Testament, I didn't make these verses up. And the last thing the body of Christ has talked about is the bride. It's the bride of Christ. I think of Ephesians 5 where it says Christ loved her and gave His life for her. He loved the church so much He gave His life for her and that's what He's called us to. And But I think it's um, when we think of the church as the bride I think if it's more like a guy you ask the guy Yeah, do you believe in marriage? Yeah, I believe in marriage. you think marriage is good? Yeah, I think marriage is good. you think God thinks marriage is good? Yeah, I think God thinks marriage is good. Um, so are you ever going to marry that girl? Ah, uh, you know... I'm not sure, you know. I don't want to get committed. I don't want to... Uh, I want to leave my options open here, you know. Maybe uh, she's not the right one. You know, sometimes people are like that with the church, you know. I believe in the church. I believe in the church. Do uh, you think God loves the church? Yeah, God loves the church. He died for it. But are you committed to the church? Well, you know, I kind of want to keep my options. I don't want to be tied down here. There's so many good options out there. Uh, there's a book. Joshua Harris wrote a book called Stop Dating the Church. Talking about that attitude of Christians who just, they just want to date. They don't want any commitments. They want to keep things at arm's length. And, you know, um, that's not what Christ did. He gave His life, His blood for His bride. And He wants us to do the same. That's what love is. He gave His life. He wants us to do the same in very practical ways for one another. And, and we've got to catch that. And so when it comes to um, your card here, um, again, if you pull this out, uh, we well, have the other side of the card is, praying for the saved you know and you can put people down by name and really I'd say there's two categories you could put people down in the first one I would think of it as as calling someone to join in with a local church and I'll be honest with you you know, I believe the scriptures are very clear that you should be a part of a local church, and it doesn't have to be ours. You know, honestly, there's a bunch, we're a bunch of goobers. We're just still trying to get our acts together, we're trying to follow God's plan as best we understand it. We aren't the, again, we talked about last week, we're not the greatest, you know, latest thing since sliced bread. Um, but we are committed to one another, and we're, by God's grace, going to lay down our lives for one another and for the name of Jesus Christ, and you're welcome to join us. But if you don't join us, join someone. Get connected somewhere. Become a functioning Christian somewhere. Become a part of the army somewhere. And get on your mission, your God-given mission. But I hope that you would maybe graciously choose to join us. Um, But on this list, there's two different types of names I encourage you to write down. Write down those who God might want to use you to call someone into the church. Maybe you know someone who's AWOL. Maybe you know someone who's a... Dismembered and doing their own dysfunctional thing when they really have a gift to be a part of the body that God has given them. Maybe uh, you know someone who needs a family. They are lonely. They are depressed. They, they could use someone to carry their burdens. You know, um, do you think of anyone like that in your world? Now, who do you think God would have to call them into, into this? Probably you. He's probably handpicked a lot of you to call people out of this out of being AWOL out of being depressed and lonely and separated and and letting the devil just beat them up calling people out of the selfishness of this world this pop culture we live in Um, write that name down someone God might use you to call into something into the body of Christ in in a practical local way the other thing you might write down is just someone maybe someone God has placed in your life that you could build them, that you could build into them, that you can help them. You know, Jesus said, go make disciples and baptize them. And it really has the idea of win people to Christ. Win them as his followers and and baptize them. Baptism is just publicly identifying your personal faith. And then He says, well, teach them. Take them and build them up and encourage them and teach them to follow Me. And I encourage you, maybe write down the name of a person or two who God might have in your life. That you would build them up, that you would really just take an ownership of helping build someone up, and um, and then work at that. Ask God to, to give you wisdom for that, and opportunities as well. As we prayed, opportunities for loss, opportunities to call people into into something and, and build them up. And so those are thoughts on on loving the saved. The last thing we're going to talk to you here, the last set of blueprints we're going to look at is. What we've talked about here, loving God and loving your lost neighbors and your saved neighbors, this is kind of a a broad stroke of God's will for your life. You can be absolutely sure that God wants this done. Um, And uh, that's what we're trying to accomplish personally and as a church. But the reality is, we can do that. We met in a big, giant church building down the street and now we're meeting in some crazy motel place, you know, and we're hoping to meet in this this kind of junked up warehouse right now. Um, but the point is, this this plan, this blueprint, this design can be lived out independent of a location, but we get a sense God is leading us to use this location, and He's given us uh, some opportunities there, and He's opened some doors, and He's closed some other doors, and we really think as a church He wants to walk us in to the blueprints for this warehouse here. and. Uh, Again, it's in the initial design phases. There's going to be discussion and dialogue probably at our leadership meeting this week. We're going to dream a little about how we can use this uh, to accomplish God's will for our life. Loving Him, and we'll, we'll look at a few of those here. How can you use this building to love God? You know, there's some things we could do. Worship nights, and more prayer, and more teaching about how much God does love us. There's some things we can do that we don't currently have the opportunity to do. I guess we could try to rent space more often here, sneak a worship night in. But there's something about having the keys to your own place. So you could show up and worship God at any time you want. You could do all-night prayer meetings. You could do whatever God puts on our heart to show Him love. Um, other things, love for our lost neighbors. You know, there's different events we could host. Uh, you know, maybe there would be a coffee house outreaches we can do. There, there's different things like. Uh, Pre-marriage counseling. We've got pre-marriage classes. A lot of people are thinking about getting married. We can help them. Uh, we can do uh, events for, for moms. There's just uh, new moms in the neighborhood all over the place. A lot of them are going like, Oh my gosh, I'm having a baby. What do I do? And we'll say, Well, why don't you talk to Morgan and Christine and Grace and some of these moms here. And they can give you some tips and some things from the Bible on how uh, to raise godly children. How to do it in a way that's by God's design again for His glory. We can do a different compassion projects. You know, I think sometimes compassion projects take organization, sometimes they take storage space, sometimes they take, uh, but our hope is that we'll have the ability to host some sort of project or at least use this as a headquarters to do better outreach in our neighborhoods. Um, and some of you might be used by God to help head those, these things up. Uh, think about different meetings. In our neighborhood, there's uh, the Highlands uh, United Neighborhood Incorporated meeting, the Honey Meeting. And we could host a meeting like that. We could say, hey, here's our building. Come and use it. Um, see that this is a church. We're not going to bite you. There's no places to sacrifice babies or anything here. This is. We've got coffee. We try to make you some good coffee. But uh, but there's a way that we can get exposure. That, hey, this is a, this is a, a friendly church. You're going to be okay. I don't know what your stereotype is, but hopefully it's not happening here. Um, then the, the other way to use it is just for loving our saved neighbors you know Jesus said to teach them to follow me teach them to obey everything we could do things like a membership class you know um, I don't know if, if any of you wonder if you're a member or not um, it's, it's a good question it's a good question the reality is I think if you've been here two weeks in a row at any point in the last couple of years you're a member uh, like it or not but there are some classes you can do that kind of say here's our vision here's our values do you want in do you count yourself in Um, maturity class there's some classes we can teach just to grow and mature and habits of following Christ an outreach class there's a class that we have that really equips people to be uh, confident in sharing your faith you have to memorize uh, 33 verses and a bunch of transitions but when you're done I guarantee you'll be more confident in sharing your faith than you've ever been we can host classes like that we can have men's ministries and women's ministries and um, you know we have think about an aspired class those who aspire to maybe serve the Lord as a pastor someday and, and deacon training classes And um, you know we're going to have some children's ministry stuff that we can do that's uh, a little more complicated than what you can do in the conference room we have up here the Salon C or whatever it is um, but I, I want to encourage you guys to just Join us in dreaming about these blueprints, you know. This is where it seems like God's leading us to. We, we do, pretty much you got to meet under a pile of bricks somewhere, whether it's in a church, whether it's in a home, whether it's in a hotel. This is the pile of bricks we're looking at. And I'm going to set up shop, and it seems like God is just leading us into it. And if tomorrow He changed the plan, well, we know we're going to still be committed to loving God passionately, loving our neighbors, the lost and the saved, and we'll figure out how to do it if, if it not here, but we believe that God's leading us here, and we're going to call all hands on deck to help pitch in on this. So I encourage you, if you get a chance, take a look at the drawings here. Um, Be thinking about different ideas of how how you would use a building like that. What would you do to better accomplish your mission uh, with a facility like like this warehouse could be? Um, Anyways, let's pray, and we'll call it a morning here. Heavenly Father, we do just thank you again. We thank you for your wisdom, your design. We thank you for creating us. Thank you that you created us not as robots, but with hearts and, and volitions that we can make choices of whether we want to love you or not. God, I thank you that you've given us different capacities to with, with which we can love you. With our minds, with our hearts, and it, with our soul, with our strength. God, help us in this. We want to grow closer to you, Lord. My heart is warming just to get to know you better and love you more like you've designed me to. God, I pray each one of us that our hearts would be growing hot for you, Lord, that we would not be lukewarm or even cold for you, but that our hearts would be hot for you, Lord God. And we ask you to bring that about by your spirit light, your spirit's fire in our hearts. God, I pray that we could not help but share with the lost as we gain a heart of compassion for them and we catch your heart for them by name. And, Lord, we just Commit our plans to you. Lord, help us to live by this design, to bring you glory by loving you and loving people in in the ways that you've called us to. And we just thank you for meeting us here this morning. We praise you. We tell you we do love you. Help us to love you supremely and passionately. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right.